So, uh, our elders years ago have made something available to our pastoral staff, uh, a sabbatical. Once every seven years, each pastor, we go on a rotation so that no pa- we don't ha- ever have two on sabbatical at the same time, gets a two-month time of getting away and refreshing and doing a number of things. Well, my, I was the first one that got one back in 2013, and now we're into our second round. And so February and March, um, I'm on sabbatical. And uh, this Tuesday night, oh, somebody's excited. Thank you. <laughs> I'm very excited. Um, but this Tuesday night, we're going we're gonna to do the thing for the deacons and pray over the deacons this Tuesday night. And then I will share... Um, what I'm going to be doing on the sabbatical, what Alice and I are going to be doing, and give you guys a chance to pray over us and kind of pray us out. And we will also pray for the, the staff that's going to be, still be here doing all the preaching, and um, lots of wonderful things are going to be happening here while we're gone. So I just wanted to let you know um, what's happening with that. I am asking you... If it, if at all possible, if this is your church family, whether you are a member or not, but you feel like this is, God has placed you in this church family, I'm going to urge you to stay for the 20-minute family meeting. I've got a lot to share. I promise you we will be done at 12.50. Child, the, the nurseries are going to keep the kids and watch over the kids, so they're taken care of. What will happen is I will be done at 12.25. We will have a three-minute break if you need to go. We totally understand that. But if this is your church family, I'm going to encourage you to stay. Everybody that stays is going to get this really cool yellow sheet that's kind of got a review of things, and then I've got a number of things I want to talk about, but I will have you out in 20 minutes, I um, promise you. So, so that is happening right after this service. Okay, guys, could we stand together in honor of God's Word? We've got a very, just one verse today. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, this is Jesus speaking, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And the tense of ask there is ask and continue to ask. This is not a one-time asking. This is a, a contending. He's got so much to give. For those who ask and continue to ask him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to what you would speak. Lord, I'm not even interested in my vision for this church, but we're all interested in your vision. Would you hide me behind the cross? Would you be the head? You said, I will build my church. Jesus, would you speak? Would you breathe? Would you help us to own what you are doing and what you are wanting to do in and through this body of believers. Lord, we love you. We commit this day to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. So we are, in January, doing the four values of City Church. So we did connect, come as you are, connect with God, connect with one another, and then this week is 
contend for more of God's presence. These are all on the back of your bulletin. Now, here's the secret. The first three values of City Church, honestly, every church worldwide should have those three values. The, the niche of City Church, what our specific body is called to do for the greater body of Christ is found in number four. We are called to do absolutely all the things every church should do. And we are specifically, uniquely called to contend for more of the presence of God. So here's point one. I have three points, oddly enough. Point one, there is more. There is more. So at the turn of the last century, there were many people immigrating from Europe to America. And this guy saved all of his money to buy a, a pass on the ship, to, to get a ticket on this ship that was going from Europe to America. And he got all of his money together and he bought this ticket, but he was very concerned because it's a three-week journey to sail all the way over. And how was he going to survive on the ship? So he took all of his remaining money and he bought peanut butter and bread and got enough so that he could portion off so that that he could survive the trip to make it to America. And so, uh, so he, he, he gets on the ship and um, every single day, morning, noon, and night, he's eating his peanut butter, drinking his water. And, uh, and, but every once in a while, he would look into the, to the dining room and see what other people were eating. And, and just, he just wished that he could participate in that. And, but he only had enough to afford this. And, but finally, at last, he comes to America. And as he is going to get off the ship, he runs into the, to the captain. And the captain says, uh, asks his name, and he says his name. And the captain says, Mr. Smith... It's so wonderful to meet you. I assumed that you had missed the ship because your ticket included the dining room and there was a place at my table every single meal for you. Now, unfortunately, I think this is going to be the experience of many, 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 many Christians when they get to heaven. Thank God that the ticket includes going to heaven. <laughs> Thank God. But I got news for you, folks. There's more things included in that ticket than just heaven. God wants to do more in you and for you and through you now. Look at John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this is not something for heaven. This is something for now. That God has given the Holy Spirit and his plan was this. That we would live in such union with him that our lives would take on this flow. That there would be this flowing river that would sustain us and flow out of us and touch those around us. He said rivers flowing. But here's most people's experience. I don't have rivers. I got drips. I got, I got a drip here and a drip there and a drip here. And once in a while, if there's a really good service, I'll pop into the river and say, whoo, that was nice. Um, but, but the idea that, that there's this continual overflow of rivers is not most people's experience. And so what they do is they just make their theology around their experience. And so I've got my doctrine, and I've got my church, and I've got my things, and I've got just this, just enough to get me to heaven. (laughs) Just enough to keep that ticket going, and I'm going to just have my peanut butter and water, and and just, I'm just going to make it. Well, God wants you to know something. There's more. Friends, yesterday morning... There were 250 women in this place. And they experienced the generosity of Jesus in this place. It was amazing. Jesus was just pouring love out. He was breaking chains. He was surprising women with his intimate touch and his intimate love. He was was healing trauma all over this place. And it was so beautiful. These, these women had to come through the snow. And then the, the meeting, I mean, they ate breakfast at 9. The meeting starts at 10. I'm done speaking at 11. We prayed for women until till 2 o'clock. There were women that waited two and a half hours to get prayed for. And I'm like, that's a long time to wait. Well, yeah, you know why they waited? Because God was touching people. You could demon- demonstrably see God was touching women. God was he was doing stuff. He can do stuff in a moment that would take uh, 20 weeks of counseling <laughs> to get just by his, his own touch. There is more. Tonight, from 6 to 7.30, we're going to do something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I will tell you tonight an experience I had in 1982 that radically changed my Christianity. It was a second experience with the Holy Spirit. It is available to every believer. Part of this second experience is a a prayer language. And if if you don't have a prayer language and you're open to the idea of having a prayer language, I'm going to encourage you to come tonight. God has something for you. The other group I want to encourage are those, you do have a prayer language. You just don't have any confidence with it. You're not sure, is this God? Is this me? Sometimes it just works in process and you just got to get the river flowing. There is a river that God wants to flow in his people. Tonight, 6 to 7.30, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come because there is more. But there's not just more for you, there's more through you.
When you read Luke eleven thirteen in its context, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In its context, you're actually asking God to do something not just for you, but through you. Here's the story. It starts in Luke eleven five. Jesus says this is what the kingdom's like. There's a guy that comes to his friend at midnight. It is the midnight hour and he's starving. He has no bread. So he comes and he knocks on the door of his friend and the friend says, what? He says, I'm starving. I have nothing. I, I need bread. And the friend says to his, his, the guy he knows, he says, I don't, I don't have any bread for you. Sorry. However, I have a relationship with a really wealthy friend. I have another friend, and he's always got fresh bread. He can help you. And so he goes, the friend goes at midnight. This other friend's waiting. He goes to this other friend, and he starts knocking on the door, and his rich friend says, go away. The wife and the children are sleeping. Go away. And the Bible says he doesn't get up and give him anything because he's his friend. But because of his shamelessness, he's absolutely shameless. He's not going to leave until he gets up and gives him what he needs. Won't, he won't give up. And so because of his shamelessness, the guy gets up and it says, and gives him all that he needs. And Jesus said, and so it is with your father in heaven. Whoever asks and keeps asking, whoever knocks and keeps knocking, whoever, um, what's the other one? Seeks and keeps seeking, God will give them all that they are asking. And in his context, he's getting bread that he's going to give to his friend. Now, a couple of things strike me. Number one, is God sleeping? <laughs> Doesn't God want to hear our prayers? Doesn't God, why would God say, go away? Why would God say, we're sleeping, go away? I don't care about you and your need and your friend. Go away, I'm sleeping, I'm at rest. Stop bothering me. Is that, is that who God is? No. But that's, Jesus is saying, that's what it's going to feel like. You're going to press in, you're going to ask, you're going to ask, and it's going to seem like heaven's silent. Jesus is saying this, don't believe it. Don't believe it. You, we are pressing through human feelings and demons and accusations, and we could get that. And Jesus said, you need to develop a shameless confidence in your spirit. You need to strengthen that relationship with the, the goodness of God and who God is, that you're just like, nope, I, I know God. And that he's, don't, don't be put off by the fact that it's not happening right away or the way you thought it would. Stay in there. Stay in there. And then, and then you say this. Well, I don't see any non-Christians coming to me. I don't, you know, I don't see anybody coming to me. Listen. They might not be coming right now, but midnight's coming. Midnight comes to every life. Right now, maybe they are having too much fun and they've got their life figured out, but midnight comes to every life. And when midnight comes, you go to somebody that you think might be able to help you. You go to somebody that has something. And God will bring them. 
God will bring them. And we have to have the humility to say, no, I don't have what you need. But I know someone. I know someone. I have a relationship with someone. It's like Daniel to King King Nebuchadnezzar. No, I don't know what your dream means. But there's a God in heaven. And he dwells. And he will speak. And he will help. There is more. That was point one. Here's point two. We have access to more through the cross. The more that is available to us is more accessible than we think it is. Look at Matthew chapter 11. This is verse 11 and 12. Truly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and violent men take it by force. Okay, so there's two things happening in this text. Number one, Jesus is commending John the Baptist. He's the greatest guy in the Old Testament. He's the greatest example of an Old Testament saint, and he's being commended for his spiritual passion, that he is pressing in to the kingdom, and not only is he pressing in, but he's affecting the people around him. A revival is happening. People are hungry for God. They're moving in. They're moving. They're hungry for the kingdom because of John the Baptist's influence. There is something happening in Israel. So that's one thing that's happening. It's, a, it's about spiritual passion. It's about pressing in. But then there's a second thing happening in this passage that's very surprising. Jesus just gets done saying that John the Baptist is the greatest guy that ever lived. And then he says... The least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. What do we do with that? I want to submit to you this. It's not that we're going to be greater people than John the Baptist. It's that we simply live under a greater covenant than he did. The least in the kingdom is going to have greater privilege and greater access than John could ever have. The person that got saved today is going to have greater privilege and greater access to heaven and heaven's resources than John ever could. Not because they're better people, but because it's a better covenant. See, in the old covenant, there was a veil between God and man. And because of God's holiness and our sinfulness, God couldn't cross it. The Bible says that when Jesus shed his blood and died on the cross, this is Matthew like 27, 51, that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Top to bottom means this. There was nothing man could do to remove that veil. Man couldn't be good enough. Man couldn't be religious enough. Man couldn't do anything. And it couldn't be violent enough in his passion for God. There's nothing that man could do to tear that veil down. But what man could not do, God did through Jesus Christ. He took the veil down. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice and he gave access to God. And over every single believer today, there is an open heaven. There's open access to heaven. Unless 
The enemy can get us to believe that we don't have that. Okay, but look for a second at 2 Corinthians 3.15. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3, is explaining how great the new covenant is compared to the old covenant. And that, that, that theirs was veiled, theirs was, the glory was fading. Every experience they had with God, however great it was, it was always fading. But we are unveiled, he's saying. We, we can shine. We're going from glory to glory. We've, we've got access. He says this. But to this day, even in the New Covenant, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. So the veil now is not between them and God. It's been put up by them. Moses, whenever Moses is read, speaks of the loss. It speaks of performance. And whenever you read the law or the Gospels or whatever part of the Bible you're reading, and it's based on your performance there's going to be a veil over your heart. And you're going to be convinced that you're not good enough for access with God. You don't pray enough. You don't repent enough. You, you don't da-da-da-da-da enough. And you'll be, you'll be outside. But the veil is not from God's side. It's in your own heart. You put it up there because this is what comes natural to us is performance. We, we, we just get into this performance thing and you're going to miss the glory of what the gospel gives us through performance. Now, I want to give you the example of adjoining hotel rooms. I want to tell you, I'll tell you a little testimony about my life as a pastor. So here's the, here's the adjoining hotel rooms. So have you ever seen a hotel room where you've got uh, uh, this room and this room, and there's two doors, but they're adjoining, and so, you know, the kids are in this room, and the, and the married couple's in this, and you can open both doors so that there's access, and you can go back and forth, and praise God, you can shut it at night when you want them to be over there, and you did there. So, so I want you to picture, I want you to picture heaven in one of those hotel rooms. And under John the Baptist, that door is shut. And John is pounding on that door. And John is, and others are pounding on it. But, but because, they're, because Jesus hasn't died yet, it doesn't matter how hard they pound. They're not getting in. They don't have access. And then I want you to see that what, when Jesus died on the cross, heaven's door came open. So now all we're left with is man's door. So let me tell you a story on myself. So since I became a pastor, I mean right from the beginning, I wanted revival. I wanted the glory of God. I wanted God to move in the church. And I honestly thought I was pounding on heaven's door. I had a, here's here's how I saw it. Um, if the church would repent more and pray more and fast more and be more hungry for God, then heaven's door would open and revival would come. And so I was always kind of angry at the church, kind of angry at pastors. And, and it was just like, we need to press in. We need to, every church I've been, we need to, we need to press in. We need to, we need to press in. We need to press in. And then a few years ago, I found out something. It's kind of, kind of humbling to find out. I thought I was knocking on heaven's door. I thought I was getting our churches to knock on heaven's door. We were knocking on heaven's door. We were knocking on man's door. We were knocking on man's door. 
And the secret is this. We have the key. To, Jesus gave us the key to man's door. It's called childlike faith. Jesus said, these things are hidden from the wise and the learned, but you've revealed them to babes. Childlike faith opens the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, you have to humble yourself like a child to come into the kingdom of heaven. Turns out, a believer's job is to believe. You need to believe God. And when we in childlike faith believe God, we, we have access we have access. We can go in. We can go out. We're, even though we're living in the hotel room on this side, we've got access to go in and grab and get everything God wants even while we're living in this life. So I had an experience a few years ago. We were doing a monthly meeting in, the, in this region called Gates of Glory. Every month we would go to a different church and we would worship and pray in that church. And this particular Friday night, it was at Victory Center. And the, uh, we're, they're, they're leading us, and it's a good group there. It's a good meeting. And we get to this song, Let It Rain. You guys have heard this song before. Let it rain, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain, let it rain. You do it about like 40 times. You just keep doing it. Well, this particular night, I like the song. I like pressing in. Open the floodgates, God, open the floodgates. And, but this particular night, I could barely sing because the worship leader had the wrong words. The right words are on the screen. Open the floodgates of heaven. But this lady that's leading us, here's what she's singing. The floodgates of heaven are open. Let it rain, let it rain. The floodgates of heaven are open. Let it rain, let it rain. And I'm just irritated. This is the, those are the wrong words. And we're probably halfway through my irritation. And I just feel the Lord speak to me and say this. She's got the right words. Guys, the floodgates of heavens, the floodgates of heaven do not need to be opened. Jesus opened them. That is his gift to us. They are open. The blood of Jesus opened the floodgates of heaven. There is water available. We do need to contend for it, but not as if we're going to get God to open it up, but because God has opened it up. Let it rain. Let it rain. The floodgates of heaven have been opened by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let it rain. I am living under an open heaven. I am a favored son. I am a favored daughter. I'm not trying to be. I am in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So that was point two. Let's find out what point three is. We must contend for more. One of the greatest tragedies in the New Testament is found in the church of Laodicea. Jesus is saying to this church, 
heaven's door has been opened. I have fire to make you gold. I have uh, eye salve to, so that you can see. I, I have garments of white so that you could, it will take away your shame and you can live in confidence. I, I've died for this. I've rose from the dead for this. I have all of this. But he's knocking on man's door. Because they have said in their pride, we need nothing. We're good to go. He's knocking on their hotel room door. Open up. And they're on the bed watching TV. And they can't exercise enough spiritual passion to get off the bed and get to the door and open up and experience what he has won for them. Guys, I understand America's hard because it's a soft culture. We're very comfortable. And in our comfort, we tend to just, in our Christianity, survive. My life is good. My life's comfortable. And in the pride of our hearts, I need nothing. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm going to heaven when I die. And Jesus is knocking at the door. Come on, church. It's not just about you. I need you to have more. I need you to access more. It's not just for you. It's for your kids. It's for your family. It's for the next generation. It's for all those that you work with. I I need you to stir yourself, get out of that bed of comfort, and come on in and get more. Contend. We must contend for more. And I have two things to contend for. Number one is to contend for more intimacy. More intimacy. In 1997, Bill Bright, head of Campus Crusade at the time, he's with the Lord now, he's a great, great man. He called the American church to a 40 day fast. He wrote a book on fasting, and he called the American church to fast for revival for America for 40 days. I remember hearing that call to fast for 40 days. And I remember my response. No way. Not doing it. Why? Because you could die in a 40-day fast. <laughs> I never fasted for more than three days. Are you kidding me? I'm not fasting for 40 days. Sorry, Bill. Find somebody else. Well, then we went down to Kansas City. They were having some leadership conference, and we went down there, and sure enough, here it is again. Now it's the 40-day fast again, and they're presenting the 40-day fast. I'm, I, and I'm not even interested. I'm like, not doing it. Not doing it. And then I feel invited by the Lord to do this. And honestly, the only way I could do it, the only way I could have peace to do it is this. Okay, but if I perish, I perish. Honestly, I, I, I couldn't see myself making it through 40 days. I don't know why, because he was, it was a juice fast. It wasn't even water. It was juice. But I'm just like, I, I just, I know me. I know how much I like food. And I just don't see me making it 40 days. So if I perish, okay, God, if I perish, I perish. So we call the whole church to this 40-day fast and people could do it in different ways. We made lots of ways to do it and just a few of us really were doing the, the actual fasting from food for 40 days. And, um, but here is our prayer. We're praying 
the words that are in red, what Jesus said, what Jesus said about miracles, what Jesus said about answered prayer, what Jesus said about casting out demons. We're praying for the power of God. God, release your power. God, show your power. God, we need miracles. God, do things that only you could do in our midst. In 20 days, it's all about God showing his power. Day number 20. We're at the Montevideo house. I remember exactly how it happened. I come out the front door, and I'm walking to the... We had a swing on that front porch. I'm walking to that swing, and God speaks to me. And you say, Pastor Tom, how do you know it was God? uh, There was one sentence. It was a spontaneous thought that was way better than anything I had thought in a completely different direction. And I thought, "Here here was the one sentence. I never want your public anointing to be greater than your private devotion. That was the sentence. Now, with that sentence came an understanding that my public anointing was already greater than my private devotion. I was already at risk. Do you know that you can become at risk when God is using you and you don't have the proper intimacy with God? Do you know that Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will say to me in that day, but Lord, we did miracles in your name, we prophesied in your name, we cast demons out in your name, and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And it's the word for intimacy. It's the word for experiential knowing that at some point, he didn't say you didn't meet me, you didn't pursue knowing me. And it all became about the anointing and you doing stuff and you doing busy and you stopped pursuing intimacy. Well, let me tell you something. That fast changed. The second 20 days was all about intimacy. Oh, God, give me greater intimacy. God, bring me closer. God, help me know your ways. God, here's what I felt like God was saying. I actually want to give you more public anointing. I want to do miracles. But you don't have a foundation to sustain it. I need you to grow in private devotion. So when we say contending for more for City Church, here's the first thing I'm going to ask. Every man, every woman, every young adult... Every teenager, every grade schooler, I'm asking you all this one thing. Please, establish in your life a time of daily devotion. Establish in your life now a time where it's just you and Jesus and you are building this bank called private devotion. Listen to the promise of God in Matthew 6. 6. Jesus says this, When you pray... Go into your inner room and close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. In secret means he's invisible. And your father will reward you openly. Your whole life will give evidence that you've been in this private place of devotion. So let me help you a little. What does it mean when Jesus says... Go into the inner room and then close the door. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Turn off your cell phone. What is he saying? Close off accessibility to the whole world. Shut the door, shut yourself in, 
and become accessible to God. But to become accessible to God, to build private devotion, you have to become unaccessible to everything else. Shut the door. What does that mean? It means when you're in that quiet time, you're going to have to take authority over these thoughts, aren't you? Because these thoughts can go all over the place and you spent an hour with God and you were never with God. You were still in your mind or was worrying about the kids, worrying about the future, worrying about the economy. We have to train our minds to shut, to shut, I'm shutting that door. I'm shutting that door. I'm going to build this thing. I'm going to build this thing with God. Pastor Tom, how could a grade schooler... Guys, everybody can start doing this. I'm, I'm urging you. Get alone with God. I always read the Bible first. I always spend time in the Bible. I get the one-year Bible. That way I don't have to figure out, where am I going to read today? I just, one-year Bible, I open it up, and it's, and it's January 26th, so I read January 26th. Little Old Testament, little New Testament, little Proverb, little Psalm. Wonderful. Why do I read the Bible first? Because if you're meeting with a king, you let him talk first. Jesus is the king of kings. We're meeting with the king of kings every day. I think he deserves to talk first. In fact, is I think he gets to set the topic for the day. And so I just get my coffee. I've got the, all the lights are off. I just got my one little light on. I'm in my little lounge chair. It's just me and Jesus down. And, and I, I'm letting God speak to me. And then I've got some devotional books that I like to read that just stir my heart. And then I get my journal out and I, I, I pray back prayers to God by, through journaling what I feel like he's speaking to me, what I feel like is responding. This is not rocket science. Any of us can do this. If you have to start with 10 minutes, start with 10 minutes. Start with just getting Jesus calling. And read that every day. And have a little time where you close the door and you spend, and build it. Build that devotional time. It is the greatest thing you can do. Pastor Tom, I just do it twice a week. I'm urging you to do it every day. Maybe your long time is twice a week, but do something every day. Build this relationship. When we wait for a crisis to come, it's going to be too late to build up this private bank of relationship with God. Build now. Build it now. Stir yourself up. We're we're in a new year. Build private devotion. So more, more intimacy. The other things will flow from private devotion. The second thing that we need to contend for more of is his presence. Matthew chapter 18. Verses 19 and 20. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. God has ordained that the greatest manifestation of his presence will be when we're together, not separately. We do need private devotion. We do need to shut the door and build a fear of God and it's just us and God. But the greatest manifestation of Jesus is going to be when we're together. Jesus said, when you agree on earth and you ask heaven, there is an authority that is going to be released and I will come in the midst of you. 
Pastor Tom, why would we have to ask for God's presence? Isn't God's presence already here? God's manifest presence, it's called his glory when it's to you. It's called his anointing when it's through you. God's manifest presence is the most valuable thing in the whole universe. And God doesn't just give it to anybody. Moses, God said to Moses, I'm going to send an angel in front of you and you're going to go into the land and it'll all be great. And Moses said, listen, Lord. And God said, I'm not going myself because I might kill you. I might end up killing everybody. So I'm sending an angel. And Moses said this, God, if you don't go, I'm not going. There's nothing else that distinguishes us from the rest of the people of the face of the earth except your presence. And he said, if I have found favor with you, Here's how I'm using my favor. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And and I think God is up in heaven going, oh, that's my boy. And God says, you want to see my glory? I'm going to have to hide you in the rocks, buddy. But I'm I'm bringing it. I'm going to let all of my goodness pass before you. Why? Because you asked. Because you valued it. Somebody on earth valued what heaven values the most. And friends, let me tell you something. God has raised this church up for this purpose, that we would agree together on the value of his presence. And that we would, he has told us to ask him for more. He has told, he has made it absolutely clear, I want to pour out more, but I need you to value it. I need you to ask me. I need you to come together to ask me. This is the main purpose of City Church. So let me tell you what we're doing in response to that main purpose. Number one, we're having a weekly prayer meeting. We're encouraging people to have daily devotions, but we're having a weekly prayer meeting. It goes from 6.30 to 8. Main purpose of that prayer meeting every single week is to contend for more. I always say this at the prayer meeting. First reason we're there is not to ask for something, just to be with God, just to be God's friend. Have you ever had a friend that just every time you're with them, they need something, they want something? If they call you, you know, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Isn't it wonderful when somebody just wants to, I just want to be with you. I just want to hang out with you. That's the first purpose of the prayer meeting, just hang out with God. Just say, you are worthy on a Tuesday night of us being with you. We love you, God. We're just here. And then there's usually something from that place that we pray out to, to access heaven and bring heaven's things to earth. But, um, so we do that weekly. And then we do something else quarterly called Pray 132. And uh, Pray 132 is uh, it, it's, it's gone to another level. It used to be pray 130, and we would schedule people in the prayer room for 130 straight hours so that as a church we could pray for 130 straight hours. How many know Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer? prayer there has to be a prayer furnace. And so, um, so we, we did pray 132, and then we started doing something called worship and waiting, with a two-hour time of just being in God's presence and just contending for, for more. And, and then... This last year, we did the first one in October. It's called Pray 132, and here's, here's what it is. It's from Psalm 132. That's where 132 comes. And in Psalm 132, David says this to God. I am not going to give sleep to my eyes. I'm not going to get comfortable in my bed 
until I have made a resting place for your presence on this earth. He's just, he's just passionate. I'm, I'm, this is more important to me than my own sleep. I am going to make a place. I'm going to contend for you to have a place on earth where you can rest your presence. That's David's vow to God. I, I, this is my burning desire. It's not for a bigger, bigger castle or a newer car or a longer vacation or a more secure retirement. This is what I'm burning for. I want you to make a place on earth for your presence. And then, oh my The rest of Psalm 132 is God's response to David's heart. God's like, you're going to vow that to me? Are you kidding me? Okay, I'm going to make a promise to you that I'm going to make a vow to you, David. Your your kingdom is going to be great. Your your kingdom will never pass away. Your name's going to be great. Your priests are all going to be filled with joy. I'm going to pour out provision on your house and on your kingdom. I'm going to take care of everything because it's just like God got really, really happy. And he just couldn't stop giving things to David. That's what it comes off of. And our leadership this last year took it to another level. So here, why, here's why it's Pray 132 now. So it starts out, the next one is coming up February 23rd. It starts out with two hours up here called Worshiping and Waiting. And we'll have pastors leading that time, but it's just kind of waiting on God together up in the sanctuary, and you can be part of the Pray 130 just by coming to worship and waiting. Then we go downstairs in the family room for something called the night watch. And then it's another different worship team leads another two hours and, and pr- presses in, and it's, it's like another prayer meeting. And then there's another prayer meeting after that from 10 till midnight, another worship team pressing in. So there's six hours. Our staff said this. We all want to be together for the six, for six hours. And so that, this is, this is a prior, this part, it's just part of being on staff here is the staff has to come to the prayer meetings every week. Hmm. Well, that's mean. No, that's what this church is supposed to be. And so everybody else gets to choose. Staff has to. It's part of their job. So we pray six hours. That's the first six hours. And then there's 126 more hours that we do in the prayer room. But the hardest hours of Pray 130 to fill were midnight to 6 a.m. So the staff, our leader, said this. We want to take those hours. We're, every single staff person takes two hours in the midnight to six to, so that we, and this last time, we fulfilled all 132 hours. It was constant prayer, 132 hours. So we have a weekly prayer, I mean, we have a quarterly pray 132, and then we have a yearly conference called Intimacy with God. We've got great speakers. I'm so excited about the speakers we've got lined up for this year. But I tell every one of the speakers, this isn't really about the speakers. <laughs> this is a worship conference. There's going to be 45 minutes of worship before you speak. And after you speak, there's going to be an hour of worship. So you're just kind of in between. You're supposed to just give some more aroma of what it is to have intimacy with God. You're supposed to call us higher. You're supposed to, when you're done speaking, people are not thinking about you. They're thinking about, oh my, I just need to, I need to be in God's presence. We're called to contend. This is who we are as a church. One of the best ways to understand our call is in a book called The Final Quest. Final Quest is by Rick Joyner. I consider Rick Joyner a modern-day prophet. He received what he got in a series of dreams and visions over about a year's time. At the beginning of the book, he's got an introduction. 
where he says how he got all of these revelations, he's very careful in the introduction to say, "My revel- this is not Bible. <laughs> everything I, in fact, everything I have has to be judged by the Bible. Bible the Bible reigns supreme on judging any prophetic word. Amen? But when I was at Mad City, before I even came to Mad City, I said, your staff and elders need to read the final quest. When we were thinking of City Church, I, I said, we can't put this together until the Lake City elders and pastors read the final quest. Here's why. If you don't believe that, you don't want me to be your pastor. Because I believe it. I believe there's going to be an end times revival, and this is about the end times revival. The whole book is. So here's how it starts out, and here's how it applies to us. Book starts out, and he is witnessing in this vision the current state of the church. And it's a mess. People don't even have their sword in their hand and their shields, and they're looking around, they're fighting with each other, they're bickering at each other, they're judging each other. A lot of Christians are actually in the enemy's camp, and they're stuck there, and they think they're God's representatives, but they're actually under darkness. And and to make it even more frustrating, whenever he shoots an arrow of truth at them to set them free, to get them out of it, instead of getting free, they get angry. And they get mad, and and he's he's just like... This is the most discouraging thing in the whole. I, there's no, we're going to lose. We're just going to lose. And then a man comes alongside of him, and he says his name is Wisdom. And he says, if you want to win this battle, then you need to climb that mountain. And he turns around, and there's this huge mountain. And so he starts over to this mountain, and it turns out this mountain is the mountain of God. And each level of the mountain has a name on it. The first level is called salvation. And the battle is fierce on this level. There are people that just got saved. They're, they're bloody all over the place. And they're trying to get other people saved. And they're just, they're just, the battle is just raging. And then there's another truth like water baptism. And there's another one that's called unity of the brethren. And, and all the way up the mountain, there's one, I remember this, it's called Galatians 2.20, which is, a, it's, it's I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And it's interesting because the arrows of shame cannot reach that level. <laughs> when somebody's at that level, that shame can't reach them anymore. And, um, and so he's climbing this thing, and he's telling other people, listen, if we're going to win, we've got to climb. We've got to climb. So every level, he's trying to get people to climb with him. And sure enough, some people are joining him climbing, but other people won't climb. They're just staying where they are. And he kind of has this judgment on, you know, we're supposed to climb. Why aren't you climbing? And so, but he finally eventually gets to the top and this group that's with him. And they experience on the top, there's this garden on top of the mountain. And it's the greatest truth of all. It's experiencing the Father's unconditional love. And when you are in this garden, everything gets healed. (laughs) Everything in you just gets healed and washed over and, 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 and their armor becomes brilliant. And so it's time to go back down the mountain and do warfare, and they're excited. They start coming down the mountain. And as people that are on these levels see the glory that is resting on them, they start climbing as well. And wisdom speaks to Rick Joyner here, and he says this. He says, every one of these truths 
has to be guarded all the time. He said, you are critical of these people that won't join you the first time. But let, you need to know this. Because they didn't join you, it was easier for you to climb. And because you climbed, it will now be easier for them to climb. And he said this, before this is over, everybody's going to climb. Everybody's going to experience the glory. Friends, this church is called to climb. Here's what we're not called to do. Criticize other churches. Our church is the best church. Our church has the Holy Spirit. Our church, great things are happening. Listen, if they don't want to climb right now and they're just holding truth and they're doing what God's called them to do, just, we're all going to climb before this thing is over. But this is our niche. We're supposed to climb. We're supposed to contend. And because we do it, when the glory of God is going to be easier for the whole body of Christ in this region to embrace. We need to climb. And we need to let go of all criticism and judgment. Toward, uh, here's why. God doesn't like that. You think your church is better? Our church is better than your church. Okay. Well, God's just like, really? I, I think I'm going to back away from that. I don't like that attitude. I don't, I don't like that attitude. Well, they don't do it right there. They don't they just, you know, have you even been there lately? I realize some of us have church wounds for how we grew up and, and now this is so much better than the way we grew up. But listen, it's not yours to judge. Jesus died for the church, not you. Let go of it. Let go of it. Pray for them. Pray for them. Who knows? Maybe they're doing better now than they were then. Just, just don't. The only reason I say this is because I did that for years. Anyway, um, <laughs> here's the last thing that happens. Here's the last thing that happens. It's probably the most important thing. They get down to the bottom layer. They are now, their, their, their armor is absolutely glowing and they feel like they could do anything. And the leader of this band yells, charge. And they're going out to take out the enemy because they've got the glory of God. They've experienced God. They're going to take out the enemy now. And he, Rick, Rick is ready to join them. And wisdom stops him. He says, don't. Put on that mantle. He looks down and there's this mantle that's called humility. And he puts this mantle on him. When he puts this mantle on, all of the glory is gone. He just looks really drab and normal and regular. And he looks over and he sees that the whole thing is a setup. It's a trap. There is a hidden army and the army is called pride. It's going to be a slaughter. This army called pride goes out and Rick Joyner starts screaming to stop. It's a trick. It's an ambush. Stop. And wisdom says very gently, they can't hear you. Only the people with this mantle can hear you. And then he looks at him very soberly and says these things. In your books, you have said to retreat in fear leaves you exposed to the enemy. And he said, and that's true. But you are equally exposed when you advance in pride. Spiritual pride can be the worst one because you can't, of course, pride, you can't see it. <laughs> and the reason why this gripped me 
and sliced me and diced me is because I know the history of revival. This is how revival goes. God starts to move. God starts to pour out. And then that church or that movement says, here we are. We're the greatest. Starts writing books. We know how to get miracles. We, everybody should come here. God's validating us and nobody else. And then God has to leave. God's looking for a people that he can trust. That he could come and do miracles here that he could do wonderful, mighty healings here, and we wouldn't get all filled with ourselves. We wouldn't attribute it to our great this or our great that or our great anything, but we would simply attribute it to the generosity of Almighty God. This is who God is. And friends, he wants to reveal his glory in this day. Do you know how he defined his glory? He said, I'm going to hide you in the rocks, Moses, and I'm going to let all of my goodness pass before you. I believe with all my heart, folks, that God wants to pour out his goodness in a thousand different ways, and he's looking for a people that will value it, that will ask him for it, and will walk in humility when he comes. Oh, boy, we've got to stand together. I'm going to pray a very, very short prayer because that family meeting is going to start in two minutes. Here we go. Lord, would you breathe on our hearts? Lord, this is not about my enthusiasm. In fact, maybe my enthusiasm makes people defensive. I don't know. But please breathe on every heart what you are speaking, what you are wanting to do, what is in your heart to do for such a time as this. Lord, where we have been sidelined by complacency or by wounds, help us to stir ourselves again to come and put our hand on man's door and open it up in childlike faith and say, Lord, Lord, we're coming in, shamelessly coming in because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, bless this body and make us a blessing, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Family meeting is going to start in two minutes if you can stay.